1: Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss how big companies utilize their brand equity. Joining us is Alan Adamson, who is the co-founder of MetaForce, which is a marketing agency comprised of an elite team of the industry's best talent with cross-platform experts in strategy, go-to-market planning, branding, creative, digital, performance marketing, and production. And today, Alan is going to talk us through why strong brand awareness won't help Uber and WeWork. Okay. Here's my conversation with Alan Adamson, co-founder at MetaForce. Alan, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Pleasure to be here, Ben. Thanks for inviting me. Very excited to have you on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the biggest names in not only the marketing space, but in technology today. And you've had some experience working with big brands. Your agency works across not only brand development, but a lot of marketing operations and strategy as well. Tell us a little bit about you, your background and your company.
2: I started off in brand management, as it was known, at a company called Unilever, (laughs) worrying about soap and cleaning, which was a good place to learn how to differentiate products because there's not that much difference. Don't tell anyone between one soap and the other soap. I then went to the advertising side and did a fair amount of work again in that category with Procter & Gamble and other clients. And finally, uh, went over to a firm called Landor in San Francisco that deals with how to tell brand stories, what's the right brand strategy, and then how do you activate it.
1: You know, I've done a fair amount of interviews with C-level executives and people that have long and distinguished careers that are generally starting their marketing careers in the pre-digital age. The storyline is very similar. I worked at a CPG company doing brand management, and that's where all of the great marketers come from when we did CMO Week. Five out of five had Unilever, P&G, some sort of experience like that in brand management. That's how you can tell some of the distinguished marketing folks. You now run an agency. Tell me a little bit about what Metaforce does.
2: Well, we're sort of a special forces of marketing. So what's happening today is lots of marketers do many things averagely, and average is over. No one notices. this you're better off doing three things phenomenally well. And to do that, you need a real tight, strong special forces team to figure out what to do and then to do it brilliantly.
1: So you've worked with some big and distinguished brands. Tell me a little bit about some of the companies that you've worked with and what are the three things that you really specialize in?
2: I've had the privilege of working with some phenomenal companies, as I mentioned, from P&G to GE to big banks to startups to nonprofits. And the three things that I focus on are, one, does that brand, does that company have a clear, simple story? When you hear the name, do you get what they're about? I also help them figure out a way to tell that story and how to break through on that. Just talking about it on a podcast may not be the best strategy. I'm sorry, Ben. And then I helped them deliver that experience in the marketplace. Because as you know, a brand is as a brand does. Lots of people do a pretty good job communicating what they will do one day. But ultimately, when the customer touches the product, if it doesn't wow you, it doesn't matter how well they told their story.
1: So you have an emphasis on brand development and brand management, Worked with a variety of companies across multiple industries. And I mentioned in the introduction that today we're going to talk about why strong brand awareness won't help companies like Uber and WeWork. You mean that them just getting on a podcast and telling them that they exist and talking about themselves isn't going to solve all of their problems?
2: Not for them. I mean, usually, how do you do this? It's really simple. You don't have to read a book on how to do brand. Steve Jobs certainly didn't read any. But, you know, step one is to get people to say, hey, look at me, which is increasingly difficult. Step two is to tell them something about yourself that matters, you care about. And step three is to get them to take an action. I'm going to buy you. I'm going to interact with you. So those three things are pretty simple, but pretty hard to do.
1: So you mentioned that there's sort of a process to follow within brand development. I've heard this phrased a couple different ways, but the phases of getting a brand to be relevant and to actually make it impactful is first off, like you said, building some sense of awareness then consideration, and then going through the purchase phase, actually driving some sort of a transaction. Talk to me about how you think about brand development. Are you sort of subscribing to that methodology that those are the three phases brands need to go through, or is it just always consideration, consideration?
2: I think the theory hasn't changed in the world since, as you mentioned earlier, the classic days of packaged goods marketing and pre-digital. But what digital has done is put a magnifying glass of what was true before is now so much more true. So, of course, the first step is to get people to notice you. And awareness is hard. And it's also harder today than it was 10 years ago when you only had three channels you could look at. Now, getting people to even notice you is a problem. And the symptom that causes in the marketplace is that people spend so much time trying to get noticed, doing stunts, doing events doing quick flashes, here's our logo, they lose sight of the fact that just saying, hey, look at me, is the beginning of the journey, not the end of the journey. And there's so much pressure. You see that in the Super Bowl, how many of the commercials you watch spend so much time trying to get you to pay attention and laugh. You have no clue. Maybe you remember their name, but you have no clue of why you should care about it. So I think part of what's happening in the day's marketplace is that the first classic rule is get noticed is still important, is still valid, but more and more marketers are just getting stuck on that you know it's so hard to do that that after they finally get some awareness they go we won and of course as everyone knows just saying hey i'm here look at me is nice but irrelevant
1: i think that there's a couple different stages of that actual awareness piece right there is the initial impression does somebody understand what your brand is about? And are you staying present and are you staying relevant? And you mentioned the Super Bowl. You see Pepsi advertising and Budweiser and some of the sort of mainstay big television advertisers are creating these pithy, funny spots. You know, they try to touch your heartstrings sometimes. There's a horse and a dog selling Budweiser. They're trying to stay top of mind and relevant. The companies that we're talking about today, the Ubers and the WeWorks, right, they have brand awareness. Everybody who's listening to this podcast knows Uber. Probably 90% of them know WeWork at least. Their problem is different than just building the awareness. They're actually in a different phase where there's been some negative press about them. And I think people probably have some differentiating sentiments about what the brand actually stands for. And that actually gets to your second point of consideration. How do you get to that second phase when somebody is clearly aware of your brand and make sure that it is going to be a positive brand impression and a positive sentiment when the press and some of the things that are happening in your business aren't always putting you in a positive light?
2: So you mentioned we work in Uber and they were lucky because not only did they get awareness because they were first in their category, but they also had something different and relevant to tell you. So they had a meaningful story. Step two of the process is not just say, hey, look at me, but here's something different that you care about or something different that's relevant to you. So Uber has that, you know, how do I get from point A to point B? I double click on this little thing on my phone. And so it's something different that's relevant to me. And we work is how do I work if I, you know, I'm an independent entrepreneur or want to work in a collaborative creative space. So they both had the benefit of quickly going from awareness to relevant differentiation, as we say in the biz, the buzz. But now they've run into a problem where just providing transportation that's easy and quick on a mobile phone is not differentiating them enough because there are other ways to get that promise. There are other companies coming in and some of the other things that have been associated with the Uber brand and the WeWork brand are making their core promise less appealing.
1: I think that there's two separate problems here. So let's dive into the weeds and workshop with Uber and WeWork a little bit. When I think about some of the brand problems that these companies face, one has a product differentiation problem and a management problem. Uber was from a company perspective, cutthroat, do anything to survive, cheat, beg, borrow, and steal to get exponential growth and expansion. And you know that sort of mantra and the way that the company was founded with focusing on aggressive growth and growth tactics really came back to bite them from a brand perspective and led to a leadership change and some changes in the marketing department, right? They have a more of like a corporate structure and identity problem, than anything else. And the reason why that's so impactful for their business is the ride sharing and transportation, at least in the United States market, is kind of a commodity product. There's no real business difference between them and Lyft. It all comes down to brand and price. And price is basically a commodity as well.
2: Yeah. So they won the game first on delivering a relevant, different what they do. They got you transportation They were the first to be able to click on your phone. And then
1: they grabbed market share. Right.
2: And they needed to do that, actually, as everyone knows, because if I have to push a thing on my phone, wait 20 minutes to go somewhere, not that appealing. If I can push something and wait two minutes, much more appealing. So they needed a certain critical mass and scale to get more drivers into the marketplace to be able to respond to a need that if I want to go somewhere, it's not tomorrow, it's right now. But once they solved that problem, and lots of brands solve the what and how of a brand, what they do and how they do it. But what becomes differentiating over the long term in a commodity market, as you just said, is not what or how they do. I can get the same sort of thing from Lyft. It's who they are and why they do something. And they got into trouble on the who part because everyone sees everything and who they were as a company, their culture made consumers reluctant to do business or vote for them when they can easily double click Lyft and not support a culture that was potentially not aligned with their values.
1: It's a really interesting brand problem. And one of my favorite ones to think of, which is, you know, going back to sort of the underlying brand foundation that Uber was meant to be sophisticated, right? It was Uber black and it was luxury cars at the click of a button. And then they went down market to get into the Priuses of the world and the ride sharing as most of us know it today, even down to Uber pool. But, you know, it was meant to be this sort of serious, sophisticated brand. And Lyft was light and pithy and fun. So at the end, when those brands scaled and the products became commoditized, people were really faced of, these two things are really the same. Do I want to be serious or do I want to be fun? And I think that on a brand perspective, Lyft is actually winning out and didn't have the same sort of corporate culture backlash that Uber did. And on the flip side, Uber clearly won with geographical expansion, so it's a much bigger company. And I don't really know the finances of each of the company in depth, but just looking at the PR and the marketing perspective, I would say that Lyft has a dramatically stronger brand, even if it's not as universally known worldwide because Uber has kind of the geographic penetration.
2: Uber's become the Kleenex of transportation, when you say that, you know, it's become the generic. So as we've started off, they won the brand awareness game by a long shot. While Lyft is catching up, they're still dominated there. They won the how you do it, the what and how, lots of drivers. But they're losing on the who and why part, which is more and more important today, who you are and what you stand for especially in commodity businesses, where I can get the same, as I said, soap from two different companies. I may want to go to Unilever because of their belief in sustainability and their management style. And it's the same with Uber now. While I'm sure their rides will be efficient and they'll get there fast, it's no longer the la da black car. It's more of the beat-up Toyota. But in that world of a commodity, you have to give users some other reason and it's not going to be in what and how they do it because that business is set. Yes, they may come up with a technological advance that lets you snap your fingers as opposed to touch the touchscreen and get the car, <laughs> or they may offer chips in the car for five seconds and you get potato chips on Uber and you don't get potato chips on Lyft. But ultimately, long-term differentiation in many, many commodity categories is based more on who the company is, your purpose, and what you believe in, rather than exactly what you do and how you do it.
1: So WeWork has a similar problem in the sense of there isn't a lot of competition, but the corporate culture has been called into question and it really comes from the founder down where there was some questionable business practices and some investments where the founders, the owner of some of the properties that they were invested in, they had a failed IPO. And I feel like the sentiment of WeWork has changed from, you know, co-working space behemoth and the next great big thing to scaled business that's floundering to take the next step and make it to the public market. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know The problems are a little similar in the sense that the founders of the companies set the identity and the tone and created some problems. If you're advising a WeWork or an Uber and you have these sort of identity and foundational brand problems come to light, how do you work around some of these problems to regain the brand momentum that you once had during your exponential growth phase?
2: If it was easy, I would be ringing their doorbells right now.
1: The challenge is it's
2: usually not a brand or marketing communication. I would argue we work. The brand is great. It signaled this community co-working space that was energized and had unlimited lattes and beer. And what I think broke at Uber first, before we found out of the management issues, was that the business wasn't working. The brand was working, but they were not making money. They were using huge amounts of OPM, other people's money. So finally, that only became real when they had to go to the bank and say, can you put some more money in? And they got so big that The business was so broken that the only option now is that they have a brand that people still like is to how do you shrink that business to make it possible to be successful over the long haul, which is to me not. Yes, there is a brand problem if I'm buying stock, but I still wouldn't mind working there. But now I'm scared about taking an office space there. I'm making this up from a consumer point of view, because the only thing for sure that's going to happen is. There'll be less beer, cheaper coffee, they're going to charge more for a whiteboard in your office because they have to close the huge gap between what they were promising in fantasy land about delivering all this and running a real ongoing business.
1: You know, it's funny, I've seen this not only working at the macro scale, the large scaled tech companies, but also, you know, it's startups that I've worked at that were small and they start with this amazing product and every bell and whistle and customer service is all we care about. We just want to deliver a wonderful experience. And then you get to the B round and all of a sudden the bankers come asking for profitability and to see what you're unit economics look like? And all of a sudden you have to start making some brand and product decisions that are not necessarily in favor of the customer. Is there a workaround here? Is there a way to scale your brand and to build your products without having to take value back down the road? Because nobody likes that experience.
2: Yeah. It's sort of like no one drives by looking at the curb right in front of them. You have to drive and look where you're going. So it's always better in brand to promise less and deliver more because people love that. (laughs) You don't have to be a marketing brand researcher to know if you promise more and deliver less. Not a good way to build loyalty. So with WeWork, they built a brand that was promising a great future. They didn't think through, how are we going to scale it? How are we going to do it? So now I think they're in the unenviable position of having to say, we have to change something about the model, whether where the locations are, whether how we staff it, whether what we charge to make this make economic sense.
1: It's interesting because I feel like a lot of non-marketers or maybe even performance marketers will look at brand and say, it's fluffy. It's not tangible. You can't put a dollar in to get a dollar out of brand. And then we get to this macro scale Where you look at, hey, how important is the brand and what's the impact that it has on the business? And it comes down to these fundamental business decisions that, you know, it's like if you are focused on building this incredible brand, but you're not thinking about what your business is at the same time, your brand ends up suffering. And it ends up being a very tactical decision to deliver a brand promise that's not only valuable, but scalable. Something to be thinking about from day one.
2: Right. How do you bring those two worlds together in the George Costanza way, making sure your worlds don't collide with an old Seinfeldism there? So my sense is that best brands are really interwoven with the business strategy. And in both cases, the WeWork brand is phenomenal. People love to work there and the experience paid it off. You didn't have to spend much time at a WeWork to know that, boy, they solved a real problem. They did reinvent how smaller businesses and entrepreneurs could get office space and create a more collaborative, stimulating environment and make work different. They did that from a brand point of view, and they actually did it quite a bit from a business point of view initially while they were using somebody else's jet fuel. And when it came time to create their own energy to sustain it, it got into trouble. They also, like anything going back to brand, the best brands are about focus. The more focused it is, the more clear it is. And WeWork lost its focus or leadership as they invested in schools and lots of other things that made their business model shakier.
1: When they started buying SEO optimization companies, they bought a brand called Conductor. I felt like the ship had sailed on them being focused.
2: Right. And focus and precision is 101 for business strategy and it's 101 for brand strategy too. So if I were going into WeWork now and say, how do you fix this mess that has exploded on the marketplace? Step one would be to get some focus on the brand. What do you really want to stand for? what's important in that promise and what do you want to offer. And you're going to have to offer less, but be really clear if you're going to offer less, that it has to be still great. You don't want to offer less of everything and create an average experience. And then make sure you're able from a business model point of view, before you announce introducing the new WeWork, that you're able to deliver it in the marathon. That a year from now or two years from now, when you ask somebody who's working at a WeWork, what's the experience like? They will play back, you know, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, but they do a great job of A, B, and C.
1: You know, it's interesting, and I'd love to hear what you think about what Uber should do, but that was really the playbook that Uber ran when there was the leadership change, when it went from Travis Kalanick to Dara, I cannot pronounce his last name, Basically, the first thing that he did was went on the road and did television advertising, you know, large reach, large impressions. This is who's running Uber, and we are going to simplify and focus more on helping people solve transportation problems. And they really tried to focus on not only making people aware that there was a leadership change, because that was obviously part of the identity problem, but also why they were focusing on solving the problems they were. If you're focusing on Uber and some of their brand challenges, what do you do?
2: I think the Uber challenge is much more manageable from a brand point of view because they had a product that was working and what was working on the product is that it delivered on the transportation, but what was not working was what they stood for, their values were, how they treated people, how they behaved, who we are and what we believe in. And the only way to get that fixed is not to say, we're going to offer you a free ride with every four you buy. So it's not just optimizing your performance. It's to demonstrate that we are bringing on new leadership. Here they are. Here's what they believe. And they are going to start doing the right thing at the right time all the time. So it's a different problem.
1: Yeah, I think when you think about these scaled brands and some of the troubles that they've had, obviously they did something right to get to that point and it shouldn't be ignored. But I do think that thinking about your brand and the impact that it has at scale on your business from day one is something that every brand should be doing. What are we going to be when we grow up and how are the things that we stand for going to manifest themselves as we get to scale is important.
2: Exactly. The best brands need to take a long-term view. And if it only works today, it's not really a brand. It's a promotional idea. Brands got to be an asset that's going to support your business. And if it's not driving and supporting your business, and it's not aligned with your, this sounds like buzzwords, your business strategy, it's a hobby. It's not a business plan.
1: I think that's important to think about brands from a long-term perspective. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Alan Adamson, the co-founder at Metaforce, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Alan is going to discuss how he feels about maturing product lines and why the new iPhones are going to do just fine. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Alan, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Adamsona, which is A-D-A-M-S-O-N-A. Or you could visit his company's website, which is metaforce.co, M-E-T-A-F-O-R-C-E dot C-O. Just one link in our show notes that I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D dot com, where you can find summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions, or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could also reach out on social media. Our handle is MartechPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, pretty much everywhere. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Schaap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to the second part of our conversation with Alan Adamson, co-founder of MetaForce, we're going to publish an episode every day during the week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.